Well done uh, for any of you who are coming early. Uh, there is noticeably more people here when we start, and that's great. So I just wanted to say that and carry it on. And well done for those who are staying afterwards and having coffee and fellowship. I think we spoke about that at the back end of last year. I think they're two really important things. So well done if you are able and have been able to do that. Well, we've got a bit of a task this morning. Uh, yeah, perhaps I'll pray for myself, really. Uh, Sometimes I think seeing the bigger picture in terms of the scope of something, in other words, all the different parties that are involved, uh, different permeations, different opinions can be tricky. But if you've got to see the scope of something and include into that time, in other words, not just the breadth of something, but if you like the time, uh, you've got to get your head around the future and try and reason that back to the now that can be really tricky. But that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think about something that Jesus taught about the ultimate big picture, about the kingdom of God, about the now and the not yet, about the present and the future, and how one should affect another. So this is going to stretch our thinking, maybe. This is going to require us to get the cogs whirring. Are you up for that this morning? Suff if you're not, because that's what I have prepared. See, one thing I love about going through the Bible chunk by chunk, as we're doing at the moment, is that you just get the next chunk. And this is the next chunk of Luke 17. And it's probably not a passage that very often uh, I've preached on, uh, but there it is. It's this one. And I think that's great. So it might be a little bit of hard work this morning. I'm going to need to ask you to keep your, eye, your minds focused. There's lots of opportunity when you look at this passage for your mind to wander down unhelpful theological cul-de-sacs. There is lots of opportunity for that. And you know what you do? You wander down that theological cul-de-sac and you end up thinking about the roast dinner and roast potatoes you're having for lunch. So please try not to try and stay with me this morning. We're going to read through the passage. We'll then take some time to go through and understand we've got an idea of what Jesus has said. Then we're going to pull out some things about the kingdom of God, just speak a little about applying them into our daily lives. Let me pray for you and me this morning. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you for your presence here with us this morning. And we pray that now by your Holy Spirit, you would help me to uh, speak clearly and that you would help us to listen and learn and hear what it is you want to teach us from your scripture this morning. We do believe this is a spiritual act, and so, Holy Spirit, we need your help, and we ask for your help. We want to better understand your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've done you some notes. Uh, they're really just some bones, but they'll just help you, I think. So let's read the scripture, Luke 17, 20 to 37. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time's coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man, but you will not see it. People will tell you there it is or here it is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, 
so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. My favorite three words in this whole chapter. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. Doesn't sound very fun, does it? But there you go. Uh, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Not really much need for me to explain that, is it? Surely, we easy get our heads around that. Let's try and just explain something of what Jesus is saying here. So let's think about the Pharisees. The question, everything begins when Jesus is asked a question by the Pharisees. And the question was, when is the kingdom of God going to come? That's the context for what we're looking at. When is the kingdom of God going to come? So that's the question Jesus is answering. And he answers the Pharisees first, and then he answers his disciples. And his answers don't contradict each other, but they're different in their depth and what they reveal, depending on who he's talking to, either the Pharisees or the disciples. Because the Pharisees don't like Jesus. They don't want him. They don't accept his message. They don't want to learn from him. They are following him in order to trip him up. Some of the sternest words that Jesus speaks is when he's talking to the Pharisees. Matthew 3, 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. It's not exactly a warm greeting, is it? You're a bunch of snakes. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them liars. I mean, these were the religious leaders who were supposed to know God and serve God and teach God's people about him. But they didn't know God and they didn't serve God. And what they did was to rule over the people in the name of God. And they enjoyed that position very much. And so they felt undermined, threatened. And basically, they plot to have Jesus killed. Matthew 12, 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So you've got to catch something of their hatred of him. They're not just kind of opposed to him and we're going to have a good old debate. They are plotting to kill him. And so Jesus answers them in a way that's appropriate to them. He, he, he speaks truth because he never lies, but he does it in such a way that really is a bit deliberately ambiguous. It kind of leaves them scratching their heads, but they've got no more ammunition against him. But it leaves his disciples then and us reading it now. We're able to understand what he said and meant, which is clever, isn't it? But then he is God, so it's the kind of thing you would expect. So he says that the coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed because the kingdom of God, verse 21, is in your midst. Is in your midst. 
And the word used by Jesus for is in your midst is, if you like, deliberately ambiguous. It, it can be rightly translated as the kingdom of God is among you, is at hand. It's, it's here. You can reach out and touch the kingdom of God. It can mean that. But it's also correctly able to be understood as the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is inside you. And Jesus doesn't explain to the Pharisees which, ones, which one he means. He does later on in a way when he talks to his disciples, he expands on what he means. So we need to understand that the kingdom of God, we've got to get in our minds that the kingdom of God has got to be understood in two senses. That there is the now and there is the not yet. There is the, there is the present and there is the future. And the Pharisees are looking at the kingdom of God in terms of its future sense. You know, one day the kingdom, when, when's the kingdom of God going to come? When's that day going to come? Uh, and they say it's going to be clear and obvious, which is true. But however, before that day comes, the kingdom of God is going to come in the form of the Messiah, that the king of the kingdom is going to come. In fact, the king of the kingdom has come. Jesus is standing. The, the one they're asking the question of is the king of the kingdom. And they say to him, so when's the kingdom going to come? Because they can't see who he is. They're so busy trying to kill him, trying to trip him up. So whether by using this phrase, Jesus means the kingdom of God is among you or inside you, is really referring to the fact the kingdom of God is not some political institution, some governmental move that's going to happen, but it's this inward reality that the kingdom of God had already come and was present in the person of Jesus, the king of the kingdom. But the Pharisees, even though both are true, they don't understand either. They don't accept either. So do you see, whichever way that key phrase Jesus said about the kingdom, whichever way he wanted them to take it, either the kingdom of God's among you or is in you, I think he used this word which can deliberately mean either, because they're both true, but the Pharisees don't believe or accept either. A bit like those lepers we read about in the previous incident last week. It, the point is, if the Pharisees can't see and discern Jesus when he's talking to them, they are not going to recognize his kingdom when it comes. If they don't recognize that Jesus in his first coming to earth, even though they are people who get to see him with their own eyes, they are never going to believe what Jesus teaches about when he comes back for the second time, for the final time. And so Jesus answers them, but actually doesn't explain it to them. He explains that to his disciples. Do you see that? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's answering the Pharisees according to them, and he's going to answer more fully according to the disciples and who they are. But the truth that we can take from what Jesus said to the Pharisees is that the kingdom of God is both among us and within us. The kingdom of God is among us in the person of Jesus, and they actually got to see and speak to him. But the kingdom of God is also within us, because as we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us when we get saved. So that's what we can take from the Pharisees. Are you with me so far? Let's think then about what he says to the disciples. Because the disciples, unlike the Pharisees, are those who do want to learn from Jesus. 
They've accepted who Jesus is. They want to land. They want to understand. And so they get a much fuller answer to the question, when will the kingdom of God come? They've already understood. They've accepted something of the reality that the kingdom of God has already come in Jesus. There's this present reality. And now to the kingdom because Jesus has come. And so now Jesus is going to tell them something about when the kingdom will come in its fullness, which is going to be a future event, which is going to be when Jesus returns. So he explains, look, I, I still have to suffer. I still gotta, I've still got to go to the cross, as if you like, one of the final acts of this first visit. But he really is focusing on what it's going to be like when I come a second time. When I come, if you like, the final time, the second time in glory to judge the world. And what will people be doing in the days between when I go back to heaven and when I come again? So you can think of the answer to the question, when is the kingdom going to come, in two visits by Jesus. The first visit, when he came as a baby, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, ascended to heaven to rule and reign at his father's side, the kingdom of God now. And the second visit by Jesus, which will be when he comes in all his glory, the whole world will know it, he will stop everything, everyone will be judged fully and fairly, which is the kingdom of God, if you like, in the not yet, in the then. But if you're going to think like this, we must remember that Jesus' rule and reign in the now never stops. It's not that Jesus came, walked on the earth for 30 years and ruled and reigned, and then did nothing for 2,000 years and however many years, and then he came back. Jesus' rule in the now started basically the day that he ascended, well, died on the cross, ascended back to heaven, and it has been continuing from that day, and it will continue every day right up to the day when he comes back. Because it, even though he only walked on the earth physically for 33 years, from the day he went to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit. He spent his Holy Spirit to carry on, in a sense, the work that he had started and the work which he was still ruling and reigning over. Jesus didn't stop ruling and reigning over his kingdom and advancing his kingdom just when, in a sense, he went to be with his father in heaven. Ever since he, did, he ascended to heaven, ever since his death and resurrection, the kingdom of God has always been now. The kingdom of God has been now to every generation. We've sung it this morning. The kingdom of God is now. And it will be now until the very day and moment when Jesus comes back again, when it will be that the kingdom of God has then come in all its fullness. Do you see that? And in this passage, what Jesus is basically doing, he's doing two things, which makes it quite tricky for me as a simple man to get my head around. He's basically fast-forwarding people to that day and talking about that day. But at the same time, he's describing what people are going to be like from this day until that day. From the day that he ascended until the day that he comes back, he's also telling them what people are going to be like. But he kind of merges the two together, and that's why it can be a little confusing. But talking about that day, what it's going to be like, he describes it, and he describes it firstly as being, it's going to be unmistakable. 
Verse 24, for the Son of Man in his day, he's talking about the last day, will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. It is going to be unmistakable. You can't mistake lightning. Everyone sees lightning going to be like that. He also says for most it's going to be sudden. And then he uses just like two Old Testament stories of Noah and Lot. In the story of Noah, people were eating, drinking, living their lives as if nothing was going to happen, even though God had warned them through the prophet Noah that a flood was coming unless they repented and saved themselves. They didn't, and the flood came. People thought it wasn't going to happen, not because they hadn't been warned, but because they didn't believe God. In the story of Lot, which in verse 28 is referred to, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them. In that story of Lot, sin of the absolute worst kind is rife in the city of Sodom. And God says through the prophet Lot, tell them to stop or I'm going to destroy them. But the people ignored God. They carried on eating, drinking, sinning, and gen generally carrying on as if nothing was going to happen. And then God did what he said. He executed judgment on them. So really, Jesus is explaining, I think, that in the days before Jesus comes, not the few days before, but if you like, in all the days before he comes again, people will be carrying on as normal. They will be living in willful rebellion, stubborn disbelief to God and what he says will happen, when it will happen. And he will end the world as he said, and he will judge people as he has said. So Jesus, I think, is helping his disciples get their heads around the fact, not only is he, in a sense, coming back, and that at that time the kingdom will come fully and finally and decisively. But also people are going to carry on in willful ignorance of him right up to that moment, just like the people before the flood, just like the people of Sodom were before their instruction, both of them completely ignoring the warnings that God is giving them. And as I said, he's not saying people are going to be like this on just the last few days, the last few days before the actual date. But he says, no, this is what people are going to be like from the days, basically, when I go back to heaven until I come again. That day is going to be sudden and unmistakable, but people are going to be behaving like this on the days before then because that's what people will behave like on every day through every generation. Do you understand that? It's not that Jesus is saying, people are, I'm going back to heaven, then people are kind of going to be quite good, and then just before the last days, people are going to be a bit bad. <laughs> He's saying, people actually are going to be behaving badly and ignoring me on the very last days of the calendar, because actually people behave badly, ignore me willfully on every day, through every generation, just like people were in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Lot. It's really what I think he's getting at. And then he brings out another fact about, in a sense, how people will respond. And that some are still going to be more concerned with the goods in their house than the judge at the door. This little bit where he talks about, you know, on a rooftop, don't go back and get, don't go back and get it. 
And the reason why is because people are more concerned with the goods in their house than the judge at the door generally. People now, every day, in every generation, are more concerned with the goods in the house than the judge at the door. They're more concerned with earthly things than with godly things. And so Jesus implores us, remember Lot's wife as an example of someone like this and learn not to be like her and not to follow her steps. So verse 31, on that day, no one who's at the, on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. See, Lot's wife had basically been a full, fully part of the terrible sin and depravity and rebellion to God that was going on in Sodom, but she's given an opportunity to repent and to escape. The angel tells her that Sodom is about to be destroyed, but that she'll be safe if she physically runs away from Sodom and keeps looking towards the city of Zor. But if she looks back while she's running and the destruction's going on, she's going to be turned to salt. And she starts to run away from the city. But there is a moment when she glances back to Sodom. And we know the story. God turns her to salt as he said he would. Now, the reason why the angel did this was because Lot's wife's heart was in Sodom. Her heart was still in all the detestable, ungodly things there. All the detestable, ungodly things that she'd been a part of, that she'd accumulated, that she'd done, that's where her heart was. And so her running away from that and keeping her eyes focused away from Sodom was really to see whether she was now truly looking to God. Had she truly repented of that? And was she truly looking for a new life with God? This was a physical act and challenge that was going to reveal where her heart was. See, the promise of escaping judgment for the people of Sodom for their sin was only if they repented. And Lot's wife said that she'd repented. And so the angel set her a task to see whether that was true. And it wasn't true because she couldn't but help look back to the city that was being destroyed because that's where her heart was. Those were the things she really wanted. She thought she could trick God who sees the motives of our hearts. But God saw the motive of of her heart. He got the angel to set her a test. What it revealed was not her heart to God, but really her heart to herself. Her heart was in a sense, in Sodom. And God's right and just judgment came on them as it came on her. Does that help you with Lot's wife? Okay, three of us, that's okay. A lot has been unhelpfully written about verse 34, verse 35. You know, two people together, one gone. The Left Behind series, if you remember that, back in the day. I think it's very easy to miss the point. The point of Jesus telling this is not what we will wonder, what's it like to be left behind when somebody else goes? That's not the point. What basically I think Jesus is saying is that, you know what? When it happens, it's going to be sudden. When I come again for the second, when it ends, it's going to be sudden, unmistakable. It's going to be unchangeable for people in that moment. So basically, anyone who is thinking their plan is to repent the minute they... the minute before they see Jesus, either when he comes back again 
or kind of moments before they die, if that's their plan, then that's a plan that's not going to work. Because actually, the end is going to come like that. Suddenly. Suddenly. Okay, four things we can learn about the kingdom of God. So we've gone through the passage, kind of, I think, picked out generally what it means. Four things we can learn about the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus now. It's about God's work in us now. It's about Jesus in the future. It's about God's work in us in the future. Let's just go through those, get our heads around it. It's about Jesus right now. The kingdom of God is about Jesus right now. Jesus uses this phrase, the kingdom of God in their midst, because ever since his birth, the king of the kingdom has come. The king is in their midst because the king of the kingdom is standing in front of them. Jesus said to people, if you've seen me, you have seen God. When Jesus did miracles, he says, these are evidence that the kingdom of God has come. So we've got to understand that the kingdom of God is about Jesus right now. He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, still ruling and reigning over his kingdom right now. He is perfectly and fully represented in all things by the Holy Spirit. In every generation can say the kingdom of God is about Jesus right now. But the kingdom of God is also about God's work in us now. Because the other use of that phrase is quite rightly, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you and me right now. Because as people get saved and put their faith in Jesus, we get filled with the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us now. As we bow the knee and allow the rule of God, the kingdom of God, into our lives, so God by his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. So when Jesus says to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is unobservable, I think really he knows the Christians are going to look normal, but when the kingdom of God comes within them, when the Holy Spirit comes on them, they're going to become powerful agents for the kingdom who, it was said of the early church, they turned the whole world upside down. So the kingdom of God is about Jesus now, and it's about Jesus' work in our lives right now. But thirdly, the kingdom of God is also about Jesus in the future. He says, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. He's already told them he's going to be raised. He's going to ascend to heaven. And people are going to doubt and claim, did, 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 did Jesus ever come? Has he ever been amongst us at all? And generations will pass and centuries will pass. And people are being given time to choose. Will they live for this world and themselves? Or will they live for the king and for the day that he comes back? And Jesus is saying, I am going to come back. And when I come back, that grace period, that time period when people can get saved, of which I thank God that I got saved, will be over and the kingdom of God is going to fully come. And people who sneer now may be like the Pharisees, on that day, they will bow the knee to him when he appears in his fullness. So the kingdom of God is also about the future. But the kingdom of God is also about God's work in us in the future. Because as Christians, what's happening in our hearts now might be misunderstood or sneered at or unobserved 
But you know, the Bible says that there'll be nothing invisible or misunderstood about what is going to happen to Christians and to God's church, God's bride, God's beloved on that day. That's why Jesus used that little proverb there about where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. It's not really a proverb that we use much. But just like everyone knows that a dead carcass has got to be hidden from view if you see the vultures circling. So everyone will know that the days of this present age are truly up when Jesus returns. And not only is Jesus revealed in all his glory, but we, as his sons and daughters, if you're a Christian, are also revealed as well. It's not just that Jesus gets fully revealed. The Bible says that those who are Jesus's get fully revealed as his sons and daughters. But it also means that those who are not his children, those who are not Christians, will also, in a sense, be revealed. They will know that. They'll know it's too late, too late to change sides, too late to repent. They might be sorry, but unfortunately, the person beside them, in a sense, has gone. It has happened. And just as he'll light up the sky from one end of the other, so those who have followed him will be revealed in glory to the world. And those who laugh and sneer like they laughed and sneered at him and mocked and jeered at him and tried to trip him up, make him out to be a liar like the Pharisees, on that day they will stop laughing because on that day he's going to invite us to eat and drink at his table and he's going to send them away forever. And so the kingdom of God is about God's work in us in the future. You'll follow that. Let me hit some application, then I'll end. My application really is this little verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. See, Lot, Lot's wife, who she is and what happened to her, is really a picture of these two verses. Had she kept her heart and her eyes on God and given up that life of sin and rebellion to God, she would have preserved her life. But because she wanted to keep that sin, that rebellion, she wanted to put her faith, if you like, in that sin and worldliness in Sodom, she lost her life. If her heart was right, her eyes would have been right. She would have kept running to God and she would have kept running to him and got life. But her heart was wrong. Her eyes revealed the truth. She looked away from God. She lost her life. In other words, instead of using the things of this world, the things that she had in the now, the things that she could choose not to do or do, her talents, her time, her possessions, where her heart was, where she found her pleasure, instead of using them in the now to serve God and affect her future, store up for herself treasures in heaven, she fell in love with them. She looked to them, she used them, she misused them. She accumulated them in the city of Sodom, which kind of represents the world. And so what she did with those things in rebellion to and not serving God with them actually determined her future. It meant for her death and judgment. That's where her heart was. And on a number of occasions in the Bible, we're warned and encouraged not only to see the bigger picture of the future, as well as the now, but to judge things, not just by the now, 
but by the reality of the future as well. That every decision we make, how we process everything that happens in life, we have to, as it were, run through the kingdom of God filter, and that filter includes the now and the future, the now and the not yet. When I make decisions, I have to ask, what does this mean for me now? And what does it mean for me in the future? What does it mean for me now? What does it mean for me when Jesus comes back? What does this mean for me when I get to heaven? What does this mean for me when I stand before God? See, surely if heaven is my home and that's where I'm going to spend all eternity, decisions I make now on earth should be affected by that. If I know and believe that that's what's coming, surely making decisions with that in mind is wise and not foolish. In fact, making decisions on earth with no reference to heaven, as it were, making decisions in the now with no reference to the future and the not yet, surely that is foolishness. Is it not? And so this call to remember Lot's wife is really Jesus' call to us not to fall in love with the trappings of this world, not to give our heart to them, not to put our faith or our security in them, not to turn our backs on God while we live in the now because it's going to affect the future. They will do us no more good on Judgment Day than they did Lot's wife on Sodom's Day of Judgment. In fact, they were her very downfall. So surely this call to remember Lot's wife is about using the time we have now, using the talents that we have now, using the things that God has given us now, whether that's our time or our money or our possessions or whatever it may be. Surely it's about using it now, understanding of what is going to happen in the future and understanding that how we handle those things now affects our future. That's what Lot's wife didn't get. And in, in her not getting it, she literally lost her life. How do we do that? Well, actually, I think we should do what she didn't do. <laughs> what we should do is what she just shouldn't do. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to keep our eyes fixed on the king of the kingdom. We have to run hard after him and not glance back to look at other stuff. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit who is within us, changing us from the inside, moving us to keep God's law, helping us not to choose all the rubbish like she chose, but to choose the things that please God, helping us in our daily walk with him. I don't think the kingdom of God is always very easy to get my head around or to understand. But I do know this, and I thank God for this. The kingdom of God has come into my life. The kingdom of God has extended into my life. And I can see that where the kingdom of God extends in this world today, what I see is goodness, freedom, fairness, grace, and wonderful things. But I can also see that where the kingdom of God has yet to come, that sin and darkness still reigns, causing bitterness and sorrow and hardship for people. But I don't know about you, but it leads me to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Father, 
let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. At our prayer week, we are going to pray about lots of individual stuff. But what sits underneath all our prayers is this. Father, let your kingdom come. As your kingdom has come to us, and as we see your kingdom keep on breaking out, we want to see more of that in all these different areas. And we're praying it, knowing that the kingdom has come to us, but we're also praying it with certainty that the kingdom of God will come fully, that one day that prayer will be answered. Jesus has taught us to pray that prayer and to pray it with hearts that not only are grateful that it's come to them, but also in complete assurance that one day the kingdom of God will fully come. So my plea to you this morning is to choose to live now shaped by the truth of the kingdom. That although many other people might consider that to be foolishness, I actually believe it is absolute wisdom. Thank you.